Welcome to Health Essentials, a Cleveland Clinic podcast. There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef. And today we're talking about women and heart disease. And our featured expert is Dr. Leslie Cho, Director of Women's Cardiovascular Center and Section Head of Preventive Cardiology and Rehab here at the Cleveland Clinic. We're very happy to have you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Um, and as always, please keep in mind, this is for informational purposes only and not intended to replace your own physician's advice. Thank you so much again for coming in today, and I just want to give you a few minutes to introduce yourself to our viewers. Great. My name is Leslie Cho. I'm the Section Head for Preventive Cardiology and Rehabilitation here at Cleveland Clinic. I'm also the Director of Women's Cardiovascular Center. I'm an interventional cardiologist by training, but my research interest uh, has been prevention. So I do a lot of work on women and heart disease and cholesterol and all sorts of uh, things around how to prevent uh, you from getting heart, heart attacks. Yeah, great, thank you so much. So who knew that when it comes to heart disease, gender actually matters. Mm. Um, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer um, of women, although it's sometimes thought of as a man's disease. Um, it's around the same number of women and men die each year um, in the United States, yet only one in five American women believe that heart disease is actually a great risk. But it doesn't affect all women alike, right? It's, it's all, it all varies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the warning signs are different for women and for men. And this is why we're dedicating this Facebook Live to talk specifically about women and their heart. But first things first, I want to kind of talk to you about just risk factors mm -hmm. and um, you know things that you can do um, to decrease your risk factor in general, men or women. Yep. So there are classic risk factors. Uh, one of them is diabetes. Mm -hmm. family history and when we say family history we don't mean anybody in your family we mm -hmm. mean like your mom or your dad or your brothers or sisters having heart disease before the age of 55 if they were a man or before the age of 65 if they're a woman mm -hmm. another great risk factor is smoking yeah. so obviously we don't want you to smoke sure. high blood pressure is another risk factor and then high cholesterol I, I think one of the most important thing we can do um, is to tell everyone that heart disease is preventable. 90% mm -hmm. of the time you can prevent your heart disease. It doesn't matter your genetic makeup, you can really do something about preventing heart disease. Mm -hmm. By knowing your numbers, like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your glucose numbers, and keeping your weight down and exercising, you can really change the course of your health. Great, so just because someone's parents had a, a heart attack or heart disease, that could totally be preventable yes. as long as you do these things, yes. just like you said, yes. you know, smoking, eating healthy. And um, when it comes to eating healthy, um, I've heard a lot about the Mediterranean diet being yeah. really good for your heart. Do yeah. you agree with that? Yes, Mediterranean diet is probably the best diet we have out there. You know, there's been a lot of talk about going vegan, yeah. gluten-free, cholesterol-free, all this stuff, but the best diet, the diet that has the most amount of study, mm -hmm. so randomized control study, which is what we consider the gold standard in medicine, is the Mediterranean diet. And when I tell patients like, oh, you should do the Mediterranean diet, and they're like, what is that exactly? <laughs> well, it's not, um, so Mediterranean diet, the true Mediterranean diet is eating a lot of vegetables and fruit, mm -hmm. 
complex carbohydrate, so really nothing white, okay. and then extra virgin cold-pressed olive oil, which okay. is very important. And then for your protein source, beans and fish, and really using meat as an accent to your meal once a week, and not having that you know, as the major component of as a protein sure. in your diet. Sure, great, excellent. Well, what are the biggest differences between a man and a woman when it comes to, um, to their heart? Mm -hmm. what, what makes us different? So, very interesting. Um, women have smaller heart than men. Mm -hmm. Women's coronary arteries are smaller than men. Women may have different uh, blood stickiness, uh, whether they, when they're older or younger. It, de it really depends on their menopausal status. Mm -hmm. But probably the number one difference is women tend to have more atypical symptoms when they present with a heart attack. So women do have common symptoms, such mm -hmm. as some, you feel like somebody's sitting on your chest. You feel like this very significant heaviness when you are moving around or exerting yourself. That's a common symptom for men and women. Okay. But women also have very atypical symptoms. So more women will say, you know, I'm so tired. The, the things I used to be able to do now I can't do because I'm so fatigued. Or they get short of breath uh, more than mm -hmm. men. So women have more atypical symptoms. So that's one big difference. The other real big difference is that although we've been trying to get the word out on showing up to the emergency room early, women, even to 2018, still present later in their heart attack mm -hmm. than men, which is a shame because mm -hmm. if you, you know, every minute counts when you're having a heart attack and you sure. have to present early for us to save your heart muscle. So every minute delayed is heart muscles being lost. And unfortunately, even now, women present later because they're not aware of some of the atypical symptoms. Sure, sure. Okay, and that was actually gonna be my next question about the symptoms, so thank you for that. Um, so when we speak about women, I know, um, you know people say that women are more emotional and they can, um, someone died recently of a, mm -hmm. Heart, broken heart? Uh -huh. is, that, is that correct? No, that, that's true. There is something is. called the broken heart syndrome, and it's what we call stress-induced cardiomyopathy. And it is caused by emotional stress. So severe emotional stress mm -hmm. can release certain type of probably stress hormones that causes the artery to either spasm or to cut off flow, and people do have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. and, it's in, and we take them to the cardiac cath lab, and their arteries are clean, but they've had a substantial damage. And, and that's mostly found in women. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is very, very interesting um, why that occurs in women. There are other things that are unique to women, too, um, besides the broken heart syndrome, and one of them is called heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. So as women get older, their heart muscle becomes more stiff compared to men. Mm. And, and their heart, instead of pumping blood forward, uh, the blood goes back because the heart muscle doesn't relax all the way. Yeah. So that kind of heart failure is a uniquely female phenomenon. So there are very, very interesting different symptoms and different disease ideology. And then finally, um, coronary artery dissection, where the arteries are completely clean, but the arteries dissect, so they tear. Mm -hmm. And that's, more, that's found more in women than in men. 
And that is because of just the risk factors that we talked about? Or? Well, I, they think it, it might be due to a, something called fibromuscular dysplasia, which is a disease state that affects the lining of the blood vessel. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a more of a women's phenomenon than a men's phenomenon. But coronary dissection is, is um, found in men too, but during extreme exercise, whereas in women, it's found during postpartum, which is after delivery or during pre-delivery, mm -hmm. that kind of hormonal stresses, and then fibromuscular dysplasia. Sure, sure. Now, what is a woman to do? I mean, besides the, the normal risk factors yeah. that we know not yeah. to smoke and to eat healthy, right. exercise, all this good stuff, but is there something different? Yes. Okay, I'm let's so talk glad about you, that. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked that question because there are unique risk factors to women, and one of them is, is that if you've had high blood pressure during your pregnancy, or if you had diabetes during your pregnancy, you're at an increased risk for having heart disease. Mm -hmm. So it's important, you know, a lot of times women, they go to see their gynecologist, and until they hit menopause, they don't really go, COS increases your risk. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's, uh, that's of concern is autoimmune disease. That's when your body doesn't recognize itself and attacks it. 80% mm -hmm. of patients who have autoimmune disease are women. Mm -hmm. And if you have autoimmune disease, you're at three to five-fold increased risk for having heart attack and stroke. Wow. So if you have these things, it's really, really important to be seen. You know, it's a matter of living your life well and not having the heart attack and stroke that can really impact the quality of your life. Sure, sure. So what you're saying is go to your PCP. Yeah. Don't just wait for heart symptoms. Yes. Because other things and knowing your numbers affects absolutely your heart yeah okay that's great thank you for that now in a recent cleveland clinic health essentials article um you talked a little bit about how women often um do much worse than men after a heart attack yeah. and we can send a link out uh, yeah. to our viewers if they want to uh, look at look at that but can you talk a little bit about that yeah. about the recovery uh part so i mean i think one of the important lessons from that is that women present older with their heart attack, so they tend to be, so if you present older with a disease, you tend to have a lot of other disease that you have too. You have mm -hmm. a lot of what we call comorbidities. So you're more likely to be hypertensive, more likely to be diabetic. So, so that's one of the reasons why women have poor outcome. But the other issue is that women present later in their heart attack than mm -hmm. men. And, and there might be some uniquely specific women things, like they tend to get less advanced care they tend to not have sort of state-of-the-art care. They tend to have more side effects with the medicines that we are currently using. They tend to bleed more. Mm -hmm. All these things sort of all play into the poor outcome. The best thing I can say is when you're having symptoms, don't be your own doctor. Don't yeah. be a doctor, Google and search it. Go see your doctor. Nice. Go see your doctor, get diagnosed. The most important thing is, is have your, know your numbers so you can prevent disease. And then finally, once you get diagnosed, women with heart disease tend to have more depression. Okay. They tend to become uh, more depressed, which leads to them maybe not taking their medicines as much, not following up, exactly, yeah. which leads to worse outcome. Okay. And so I think once you have disease, it's really important to be involved in a community where you feel safe and where you feel empowered sort of 
to learn about your disease yeah. and, and to treat your disease. And it's important to seek out a doctor that can relate to you on this level too. Perfect, great information, thank you so much. And I'm gonna go ahead and get some uh, live questions coming in. Um, I have Courtney, uh, what does it mean for a woman when her LDL is high but her HDL is also high? What should be done to manage this? Right, so that's a very good question. So women do have very, so LDL is the bad cholesterol. Okay. And HDL is the good cholesterol. So we think of HDL as like a vacuum cleaner. It goes around the body and sucks cholesterol from the body. Mm -hmm. And so if you have high HDL, we've traditionally thought that was a great thing. Based on the new guidelines, um, your, your risk is really dependent on something called the atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk score. So even if your HDL is very high, if your risk score is high, that means your risk score of getting heart attack in the next 10 years is high, then it doesn't really matter what your HDL is, you should probably be treated. Um, but it really depends on the ratio, it depends on what kind of disease you have too. So if you already have heart disease, right, having good cholesterol, having high HDL is good, but we really want to target that bad cholesterol number. Sure. If you don't have heart disease, then you know, then there's much more room to sort of uh, modify. Yeah, so that's when you say high cholesterol, we're talking about the bad, the LDL. Yeah, so LDL is the lousy cholesterol, lousy. and we want that number to be low okay. <laughs> when you have heart disease. And so if you don't have heart disease, um, you know, there's more room to sort of modify treatment, but if you do have heart disease, we really want that number to be less than 70. Okay, yeah. great, 70. Mm -hmm. It's very number. low. That is low. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, Courtney, for your question. And um, I have Joan. What is the most effective way to educate more women of the problems with heart disease? Everyone seems to, to be aware of all the cancer risks, mm -hmm. but heart disease is never discussed, yet heart disease is the number one killer of women. But Joan, that's a great question, and thank you for asking that. It is true. I mean, it's hard to, I think American Heart Association has done a great job with Go Red for Women mm -hmm. campaign, which has really raised the awareness. I think the other thing is, is we have to talk to our daughters and our sisters and our mothers, yes. and we have to spread that word among ourselves. I think it's really important. I think getting the gynecologist involved in treating prevention, I mean, to become prevention-minded, I think is the most, is another very important thing, and we're trying to do that. But I really think it depends on like word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and I think women do a very good job of, of communication. And so if you know, tell someone you love, about their risk and, and whether they're getting prevention or not. Sure, sure. And mm -hmm. just like you said, it's an overall umbrella of good yes. health that will protect yes. you from heart disease. Yes. Don't wait until you get the symptoms. Yes. Okay, and uh, Faye uh, left a nice message. Uh, hello from North Dakota. I've been a patient uh, with Cleveland Clinic since 2005. Can't say uh, enough about how good they are. Thank you. Oh, so. that's so nice. <laughs> Thank you for the nice comments. Uh, Barbara, um, are there risks when you have PVCs with bigemony? Bigemony. Bigemony. Yeah, so PVCs are premature ventricular contractions. Some women get a lot of extra heartbeats um, when they go through menopause mm -hmm. um, or when they're going through postpartum, 
which is after delivery. Okay. And usually it is very benign. Me means doesn't, you know, it's very benign. You, sure. you don't die from it. You don't have any uh, bad things happen to you. Usually when it's, um, so women will commonly complain about fluttering in their chest or skipping or flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. And they don't get it when they're doing something. They get it when they're doing nothing. And so the things that make it worse are caffeine, mm -hmm. uh, dehydration, alcohol because it makes you dehydrated, sure. and then over-the-counter decongestants. So we tell mm -hmm. you to stop those things. If you have a lot of PVCs, a lot of extra heartbeats, greater than 10% of your total rhythm, and it's driving you insane, and your heart pumping function is low, we will go into your heart and zap that extra rhythm mm. to get rid of it. But for 99% of people, it's really benign. And you know, I love to drink coffee. It's my <laughs> favorite food group. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and I always tell people it doesn't cause anything except overachievement. But in terms of PVCs, it can really exacerbate it. So sure. any caffeine, so coffee, tea, green tea has a ton of caffeine. So green tea has a ton of caffeine. Yeah, and matcha I tea, was which not I aware. Love. Yeah, matcha tea, which what I love to drink every day, yeah. uh, has a lot of caffeine. Yeah. So you have to cut those things if you're having lots of extra heartbeat. By Gemini, in and of itself, is not harmful. Mm -hmm. But if, it, if, it, if you're really bothered by it or if it's greater than 10% of your heart rhythm, then it's something that you and your doctor should talk about, you know, treating. Great, great. Um, and I know we touched on menopause, so I have a question here from Michelle. After menopause, uh, what can women do to manage a higher risk for heart disease? Do you recommend hormone replacement such as estrogen supplementation? So that's a great question, and it's been studied in a couple of different trials, and unfortunately no hormone replacement therapy has proven to lower the risk of heart disease. So currently the guideline recommendation is, is that you be on hormone replacement therapy mainly for symptoms, but not for lowering your risk. Okay, can I have you, can I just stop you for a second yeah. and kind of take that back? What happens after menopause to your heart? Why are we yeah. re replacing hormone? Yeah. Well, what's going on exactly? So um, after the hormone, af so after you go through menopause, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of symptoms that come on, like irritability, sleeplessness, people get hot flashes. Mm -hmm. But inside your body, what's happening is your blood pressure tends to go up because mm -hmm. your artery is less elastic. I your see. cholesterol level goes up because estrogen was helping to lower the cholesterol. Um, and then there's other variables like maybe platelets and platelets are what makes your blood sticky. Mm -hmm. So in women, when they hit menopause, their blood pressure goes up and their cholesterol goes up. Now we used to think that if we gave you hormone replacement therapy, that that would lower your blood pressure and lower your cholesterol. It does lower your cholesterol, but unfortunately it doesn't lower your risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, there is actually some data that in certain women, especially the ones with heart disease, it may increase your risk of having more heart attack and stroke. Wow. So we actively discourage our ladies who have heart disease from getting on hormone replacement therapy. Mm. If you don't have heart disease and you're going through menopause and you're totally bothered by the symptoms, then we say, okay, you can take it. You can take hormone replacement therapy for the symptoms. For the symptoms, but not to lower your, your risk. risk. Sure. And it would, and uh, hormone replacement therapy would always increase your good cholesterol. But it turns out that it is the dysfunctional good cholesterol it's uh, raising, I not see. the functional kind. I see. LDL, HDL, we're talking about HDL. HDL. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. And um, I have Angela. I have a pacemaker and some occasional NSVT. Mm -hmm. Should I get uh, autoimmune testing? 
Um, well, I'm not sure if those things are related. So uh, if you have a pacemaker, and I'm assuming NSVT means non-sustained uh, non ventricular tachycardia, this is probably something that's a little bit out a uh, little bit unusual, mm -hmm. um, and probably you should talk to your doctor. But autoimmune testing, I'm not sure what autoimmune testing has to do with that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, she can send us more information. Yeah. We'll follow up. Mm -hmm. um, I have Jane as a woman uh, wondering if there are tests that I should be receiving at different times in my life for my heart. I am currently 30 years old. So the only thing you would we would recommend at this stage is an annual blood pressure check. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and you can get that with your local gynecologist. You should be getting a um, cholesterol check every five years if you don't if you don't have risk factors. Okay. Um, and then you should be you know getting things like glucose checks, fasting glucose checks sure. um, if you are at increased risk for having diabetes. But there is uh, so, so like those kind of standard testing is what we recommend mm -hmm. if you have risk factors. So if you have family history of High, high cholesterol, if you have family uh, history of early heart disease, mm -hmm. then the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology recommend an annual cholesterol testing. Oh, annual. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So uh, otherwise, if, if she's healthy and 30, blood pressure mm -hmm. check, cholesterol, and some glucose. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously uh, getting weighed and making sure that you're within the healthy range. Sure. BMI. Yeah. Just make sure your BMI is, mm -hmm. is, what is it, 25 and under? Yeah, or? 25 and under would be good. Okay. I mean, I, I really am a believer in the level of fitness. I think the level of fitness is so much more important than weight. You know, I think for women, weight is such a delicate, sensitive issue because most of us equate weight with image, body image, and all these things. Right. But I think what's really important, what's really crucial that we're learning um, in our data is, is that it's not how much you weigh, it's how fit you are. So plenty of people who are thin are in terrible shape, yes. and actually they don't tend to live as long as people who are a little bit overweight but in great shape. And so I think the key to health is fitness. Fitness, mm -hmm. that's great. And um, I know we talked about um, the question that we had, um, Jane's, mm -hmm. but if you're not 30, if you're 40s, 50s, 60s, mm -hmm. and you are healthy without the heart mm -hmm. uh, risk factors or mm -hmm. family history, do you still get these kind of uh, same You get the things, same chapters, thing. Is there anything else? Yep, you get the same thing. You probably should start getting checked every year at, once you pass the age of 50. Okay. Um, hyper, high blood pressure check, glucose check, and cholesterol check, I think that's very important. Um, you know, some people advocate getting uh, a baseline electrocardiogram, which mm -hmm. is a, you know, tracing, electrical tracing. I think that's important. If you have symptoms, obviously we can go towards, you know, whatever uh, your symptoms detail. Some people are getting things like calcium score, coronary calcium score. Some people are getting ultrasound of their heart. I think those are all um, not necessary mm -hmm. unless there is something that drives us towards that test, sure. like an increased risk for some reason. Okay. And then with these tests, just like you said, this would go back to the PCP. You exactly. don't need to see a heart doctor to get these checks. You Correct. can do it from your yeah. doctor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then May is asking, is there any difference in primary preventive measures and medications for cardiovascular disease between male and female? Well, the only thing, that's a very, very good question. Um, mm -hmm. The only thing is aspirin. 
And aspirin yeah. is very, very surprising. And we've, we, you know, aspirin is one of the oldest drugs we have, and yet we are still learning about aspirin. Oh, Isn't wow. that amazing? Yeah. <coughs> so aspirin was tested in women, whether aspirin helps lowering the risk of heart disease if you've never had heart disease before, which is primary prevention, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. So if you have heart disease, aspirin, you have to be on, unless mm -hmm. there's some, you're allergic to it and, and whatnot. But if you've never had heart disease, should you be on aspirin? Turns out women greater than age of 65, if their bleeding risk is low, they should be on aspirin if they have risk factors mm -hmm. because it lowers the risk of stroke. Wow. Yeah, and but if you're before the age of 65, it really depends on how many risk factors you have. So in men, that's different. But in women, uh, it's very clear, greater than the age of 65, um, the aspirin definitely helps with lowering your risk of stroke. Wow, very, very good information. Thank you for that question, May. And we have Audrey, does an infection in the arteries cause the plaque to gather? Um, so it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's um, inflammation. So, you know, in the past, um, uh, we thought, I mean, you know, that cholesterol just lays down on the artery, but it turns out that when the arteries are inflamed, it, it's because of high cholesterol, because of high blood pressure, because of diabetes. All these things causes inflammation, mm -hmm. which exacerbates the cholesterol laying down on the blood vessels. So, um, chronic inflammatory state increases your risk too. So things that are cause chronic inflammation are the autoimmune disease that we talked about, like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, all these autoimmune disease where the body doesn't recognize itself and attacks itself mm -hmm. increases your risk for um, atherosclerosis, which is hardening of the arteries. Wow. And you mentioned, again, that was a disease that was mostly found in women. Yeah. 80% okay. of, yeah, of autoimmune disease are, uh, I mean, 80%, autoimmune disease is this entity, and 80% of people who have autoimmune dis are disease women. are women. Yeah. That's, so it's a predominantly amazing. a female phenomenon. Wow. Um, I'm going to jump on to Cora. If a woman's heart attack symptoms are subtle, like neck pain, fatigue, or indigestion, how can you tell if you're really having one? That's a great question. This is not yours to decide, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think it is uh, something that your physicians have to decide. So um, most people who are having these symptoms, they notice that it's worse with exertion, mm -hmm. right? Um, that it gets worse with exertion. It's, it's, it's a very annoying symptom that won't go away. And so if you are in doubt, it's really important to go seek a professional help and not to be your own doctor. If you are in doubt, I think it's important to talk to your primary care doctor uh, or call the or go to the emergency room, but, but it's really important to let someone who knows figure it out. Sure, sure. And if you Google it, you'll never like the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we, we have a few minutes, so I'm going to take just one more here uh, before I let you go. Um, I have Cheryl. Is there any way to reverse a heart that has become rigid? I am diabetic and obese. So I'm assuming rigid means um, uh, arteries that have been blocked up, I hope. Yeah. Um, so if you have, so there's w uh, wonderful data actually coming from Dr. Nissen, who's our chairman here. He's uh, spent his life working on something called intravascular ultrasound, which mm -hmm. is like a television camera that goes inside the artery, and we can see how much cholesterol plaque you have. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that if you get your cholesterol level down super duper low, so your LDL, your lousy cholesterol, less than 60, you can cause 
plaque regression, that the plaque can actually get less. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can uh, do that. So that's mm -hmm. one good thing. If you mean by rigid a stiff heart, so that you're having more heart failure, one of the a, a good um, thing is is weight loss, mm -hmm. and controlling your blood pressure can really help the diastolic or the stiffened heart failure symptoms. Great, great, thank you. Um, well, we're all out of uh, time, but before I let you go, is there anything you want to tell our viewers that maybe we have not touched on in conclusion? I think the greatest thing about heart disease is that it's preventable. And I don't, and even if you are overweight or even if you have diabetes or even if you have heart disease today, you can prevent yourself from getting a second heart attack or a second stroke. And I think by controlling blood pressure, controlling cholesterol, diabetes, exercising and eating right and not smoking, you can really make a big impact on your life. And these pills that we are, you know, you take are not substitutes. They're merely supplements to a good, healthy lifestyle. So it's an encouraging news that heart disease is preventable. Yes, thank you so much, thank Dr. You. Cho. And I wrote so many notes. You have some great information here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for more health tips and information, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.